0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast.
1: Together, we're learning to do three things.
0: Friendship with God.
1: Friendship with one another.
0: And open friendship for the sake of the world.
1: For more information about OKC First,
0: please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said,
1: Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It
0: speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This
1: is the word of the Lord. Thanks, everybody. I loved all the songs. So pertinent today. Thank you. Um, one of the first and perhaps the only time in a year I'll have a chance to preach from the book of Habakkuk. So let's go ahead and clean that up right now. It's I'm gonna say Habakkuk because uh, Habakkuk sounds like a Christian sports camp to me for some reason, so we'll go with Habakkuk. The other thing that I probably need to alert you to today is this, Habakkuk is perhaps our most disrespectful prophet. I mean, Habakkuk, man, he lets God have it. Now that's an interesting thing, like what, what, where does, Uh, respect or being respectful, what kind of role does that play in our lives of faith? One of the first battles if you remember Jason, one of the first battles we had to fight when I became pastor walked in one Sunday and a very well intending person had put signs all over the doors, entrances to the sanctuary that said, don't bring your coffee in here. Don't bring your your drinks, don't bring your, your food and your stuff in here and so I Respectfully, took down all of the signs, and I went back, and I said, now, what's, what, is, what is this? Well, it's disrespectful. Now, I did witness the same person who was claiming that this was very disrespectful. I did witness her yelling at someone in the sanctuary who had a hat on, which I thought was disrespectful. Not the wearing of the hat, the yelling at the person wearing the hat. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. I, this is going to be a hard sermon for you, If you understand uh, respectfulness, right? If you understand respectfulness in ways that would not allow you to say to God the things that are on your mind and heart. If you feel like it's respectful to not tell God when it hurts, if you feel like it's respectful to not ask God where God is when it hurts, if you feel like that's disrespectful to say, come on, God. I mean, I said something last week and I, there was some nervous laughter, but here's, here's what I said last week. I said, sometimes I say to God, God, you've been God for so long. I just feel like you should be better at it by now. <laughs> if you feel like that's disrespectful, not only are you not going to like today's sermon, but you're not going to like Habakkuk at all. Maybe maybe we should reexamine what we mean when we talk about this element of respect within this relationship that you have with God and that God wants to have with you our former pastor used to say and it had a had a great impact on me and he continues to be my pastor by the way welcome dr green glad you're here but he used to say no relationship is any better than it is honest whoa. No relationship, including the one with God, is any better than it is honest. And so, if that's true, if you, in the name of being respectful, then withhold how it is that you are thinking or feeling from God, I think God might say, wait, I want more than what you're allowing us to have right now. Now, I'm not asking you to go out of your way to be disrespectful. Name-calling is probably not a great thing, right? I, I am not asking you to go out of your way to be disrespectful. I think what you hear me saying is intimacy with God is not only possible, it is desirable. Intimacy with God, I think, is in and of itself respectful. Intimacy with God will at times cause you to say something In your intimacy, it might mean that sometimes you will say something that maybe in the past you would have put in the disrespectful category. But can I tell you something that I hope is good gospel news to you in the morning? God is big enough to take your bad days. God's shoulders are broad enough to handle your complaints. Now, are your shoulders broad enough to handle God's responses? Because the book of Habakkuk explores all of that. Explores all of that. There is something kind of making the rounds. I I see this little rhetorical device is what I would call it. It goes something like this. Someone, whoops. Have I I not done something to get it on the screen? Or what's, what's going on? What? Me? No, you? Just go ahead. There you go. Hey, here we go. All I had to do was point at Zach, and it worked right there. That is power, Zach. Woof. Have you seen uh, these sorts of statements out there? <laughs> the ones that leave somebody at the end, folding his or her arms and saying, I'll wait. Here, here's one that says, name a continent that doesn't start and end with the same letter. And of course, my mind went to, well, South America, North America, that doesn't start with the same letter. And his response was, I mean America. Then there's Asia, and then there's Europe, and Australia, and all those kinds of things. But the whole posture is what I want you to, to notice here. I'll wait. I have made a point that cannot be debated. I'll wait for your needless response, right? Here is one. Here's another one I like. Tell me a better gift than money. I'll wait. I've obviously made the perfect point. I'll wait for you to try to give me a a better idea for a gift than money. Of course, then there's this one. Give me a better gift than books. I'll wait. Or tell me a better gift than plants. I'll wait. (laughs) So apparently there is a, a fiery debate right now as to what makes the best gift. But I'm really interested in the I'll wait part, Right? I'm I'm interested in that posture, I guess, or or that attitude, maybe even that, that snark, let's say. That snark that would say, I've made the ultimate point. I'd like to hear your response, which will be inadequate. I'll wait. Habakkuk says this to God. A little background information here. Habakkuk would have been a rough contemporary of Jeremiah's. In other words, a southern kingdom prophet, we believe. A lot of this is conjecture, just sort of piecing the bits and pieces together to come up with this picture, a rough contemporary of Jeremiah's. But we think he did a lot of his work prior to the invasion of the Babylonians, prior to Babylon coming in and and ransacking uh, uh, Jerusalem and the wall and the temple, we think that Habakkuk could see the handwriting on the wall, as it were, say, okay, the Babylonians are coming. Egypt was at one time understood to be a barrier, but now Egypt has fled. And so man, Babylon's coming. And Habakkuk was like Jeremiah, quick to say, and the reason the Babylonians are coming is because the Israelites are not being the covenant people of God. They are not doing the things that they know to do. They have wandered away from the covenant. They have wandered away from God, and they have wandered into trouble. In the form of the Babylonians, they're on their way. Habakkuk seems to have the capacity to see the trauma that is coming, the terror that is coming. And so he starts ahead of time, ahead of the invasion, saying, God, when are you going to help us? And help could come in a variety of ways. You could just go out and defeat the Babylonians, or you could just help us to be better people. God, help us to see the error of our ways in the hopes that we can somehow avert this disaster. God, help us. And so he says here in, cha- in chapter one, verse one Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? And remember, this is a prophet. We have canonized this, this person and this book. I need you to to think about that for a minute. Some of the things that I'm going to put on the screens I'm going to read for you today are from the mouth of a prophet that we have now for thousands of years honored as one of the voices to help us to know who God is and who we are in response to God. In other words, what Habakkuk says must be okay. How long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? It's disrespectful. Nope, it's honest. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why God do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble, destruction, and violence are before me? Strife and contention arise. Boy, I, I, I can feel that right now. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, But apparently, as I look at my mailbox, it is election season, amen? (laughs) Apparently, as I watch anything on TV, it is election season. I mean, they're even getting into my Facebook feed, y'all. Apparently, it's election season. And not only is it election season, can we also call it conflict season? It's like fight season. And I will say that it's necessary. We have folks in the room running for important offices and I want them to win. (laughs) So these are necessary conversations that we have to have, but it still hurts. It's still still conflict. Dr. Bratcher is another one of my mentors, and and he and Robin are a part of the the Word and Table um, congregation, and Dr. Bratcher has written extensively on the book of Habakkuk, and so I borrowed heavily from him today. Watch this. He says, Where is God? It is a profound question that arises, not from doubt in God, but from faith in God. Only one who has believed and still believes can honestly ask such a question. Does that feel liberating to anybody else? Isn't that that helpful? He goes on to say, he goes on to say, he's going to go on to say, There, it is only to those who believe that such cries make sense. It is only from a profound belief and faith in the goodness of God that the prophet can look at the state of the world around him and cry, how long? How long? And I want to remind us, Habakkuk is not just complaining about the Babylonians, the dangerous Babylonians who are on the way, he is also complaining about the failure of the people of God to be the people of God. In fact, here's what it says in verse four. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. Can you hear the cynicism in his voice? The wicked surround the righteous, therefore judgment comes forth perverted. And I'm feeling this too because I look around and I feel like Christians and pastors and churches are being co-opted at an alarming rate I might be the only one, but I don't think I am. I sometimes wonder if the good people will win. I'm not just talking about the second Tuesday in November. I sometimes look around and the deep commitment I see to corruption. The deep commitment I see to corruption, sometimes shared by people who wear the same labels that I wear, makes me wonder if this is gonna turn out. And you guys, I go to work as a pastor every day. And so I might be the one who says every once in a while, God, are you paying attention? Are are you paying attention? Let me add my voice to the voice of Habakkuk. God, how much longer do we have to see all of this? Are you not seeing this? Are you not? And if you see it, do you care? Is this going to turn out? The next section of the book there in chapter one, which is not in our readings, just sort of details just how brutal and terrifying the Babylonian invasion has been for other countries and will be for Israel. Whatever it is, whatever it is that Israel's guilty of and not taking care of people and victimizing people and and damaging the people on the margins, God, you have to know that it's only gonna be worse with the Babylonians. And what kind of God will send those people on the margins from the frying pan and then into the fire? This is what Habakkuk is saying. What kind of God will get mad at us because we're doing violence to the people in the margins we're not being the people of God and then somehow bless the Babylonians to come in here and do worse? God, is it possible that the cure is as bad or worse than a disease? (laughs) Or are you paying attention? Again, This is Habakkuk. There is some cynicism here, y'all. Your eyes are too pure to behold evil, huh? And you cannot look on wrongdoing. So why do you look on the treacherous and and are silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they are? Whoa. I mean, are you really going to let Babylon keep doing what Babylon's doing? And are you going to let this happen to your own people? What is the deal, God? Now, what is Habakkuk right here? What is, would you consider him to be disrespectful? I mean, I, I, like I say, I, I think there is some discernible snark here. Prophetic snark. What a rock group name that would be, prophetic snark. <laughs> I, I think it's here. Is it disrespectful? And if it is, now what do we do? Because this guy's in the Bible. He's got a book in the Bible. What are we going to do? And it kind of gets worse. So he says, he, this is his I'm going to wait moment here. He says, I will stand at my watch post. I, I have given you my arguments, God. I have, I have given you my arguments. I have made my case, I have made my case that the Babylonians are at least as bad as the Israelites and yet I've also made my case that you somehow are blind to all that's happening and so I have challenged you to give me an answer. So I'm gonna stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. I'll just wait. That's what's happening. I'll wait. Here's what I'd say about Habakkuk. Can you believe how profoundly faithful he is? Can you believe how deep the faith of Habakkuk is here? To be so absolutely convinced of the goodness and the graciousness of God, that you would say, God, none of this looks or sounds like you in your goodness and graciousness. When are you going to be God as I know you to be God? I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what we will, he will answer com- concerning my complaint. One of the things that Dr. Bratcher talks about in his He actually wrote his whole dissertation on this book of the Bible. And one of the things that, one of the points that he makes, he entitles Saturday Living. And and here's what is meant by the terminology of Saturday Living. Think with me, let's let's act as if for the moment, it's Holy Week. On Friday night, we're in here, and it's, it's beautiful, and it's moving, and it is dark, and it is brutal. And if you'll remember, everybody, we typically leave here with the crucifixion seared into our imaginations. Now, there are some places where you can go to an Easter Sunday service on Friday night. We are not that place. And here's why. Because Saturday living happens all the time, and if we don't rehearse it, we're not going to do it. And so we leave here on Friday night. I I even say to you, I even say to you, try to leave here participating in the sadness and in the anguish of the moment by being silent. Don't yuck it up in the hallways. There is something to be mourned. A tragedy has happened. Now, do we hope for Sunday morning? Absolutely. But between the tragedy of Friday night and the hope of Sunday morning, There's Saturday living, Saturday living. Some of you are living in Saturday after Saturday after Saturday right now. And here's what I mean by that. Something has happened. Something has happened that is terrible, (laughs) terrifying. The nightmare has occurred And it's not yet resolved because, as we all know by now, life is not a 30-minute, 60-minute TV show that always resolves. Sometimes you are stuck in Saturday. Habakkuk has started to experience the nightmare scenario of what I would call Friday night. But he believes something about God that causes him to not only gripe to God but hope for something better the rest of the sermon should be understood as how to live on Saturday how to live on Saturday verse 2 then the Lord answered me and said write the vision okay I've heard you write the vision make it plain on tablets put it in big letters so if somebody's just running by He or she can still read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Now Paul picks up on this. And Paul will use the same language, but you almost get the impression when you are looking at Paul that what Paul is saying is, well, you got to live according to the, according to the, the, the uh, let's see, the precepts that you hold dear here cognitively, mentally. But the word probably should not have been translated faith here It should have been translated as faithfulness. In other words, the righteous or the right related to God and to one another will live by their faithfulness, not just by what their brains believe, but by what their bodies do. One of the things to do if you are stuck in Saturday is to do this. You ready? Live faithfully. Live faithfully and do the things that you know the covenant people of God do. John, there's not necessarily a healing elixir in there. Well, it might be. You might not be aware of it just yet. There might be. But even if there's not, Saturday living is where we demonstrate who we are and what we believe by how we live. There's a season coming up on the calendar, Advent, Advent is all about waiting and anticipating. It's also about hope, right? But waiting doesn't imply motionlessness. We say this all the time about Advent, but let's say it now about Saturday living. We prepare for what's coming. We prepare for what's coming Saturday living is investing in the hope of God we've talked about that before with the book of Jeremiah Saturday living lives based on this deep conviction that God is out there that God is paying attention and while I might not see the entire picture of myself I'm going to live as if God has won is winning and will win okay thought I might get an amen there but you know no big deal The rest of chapter 2, Habakkuk seems to be having this conversation with God where they outline what it is that steals from us this deep wisdom that there is a way to live on Saturday. In the absence of living by faithfulness, both the Babylonians but also the Israelites were pursuing wealth and prosperity at every turn. In the absence of the quick answers from God that we want, in the absence of the microwavable uh, solutions to our problems that we want, sometimes human beings, and sometimes it's believing human beings, opt for something a little bit more, let's say, tangible, so let's gather up as much stuff as I can around me, because maybe that's how I will be able to navigate this dark Saturday, at least if I have a few more dollars, it'll help me. We talked last week about the dangers of the prosperity gospel, but it comes up again here. The prosperity gospel, if you'll remember, seems to indicate that if bad things are happening to you, it's because you've done something or you haven't done something (laughs) that God wanted you to do. But Christian hope, Christian hope finds its hope in somewhere other than my behavior. It finds its hope in the character of God. What might it look like to live on Saturday investing in the character of God? Now, when it is Holy Week around here, here's what we do. We clean up after the nightmare of Friday night, and we set up in hope for what will happen on Sunday. Every week during Holy Week. And if you haven't been a part of it, there is something actually spiritual about it. There really is. I mean, I, I have seen folks go through and, and uh, uh, you know, shine and clean and vacuum. But these pews are hard to, to vacuum. <laughs> They're difficult. And, and it takes people, as gracious as Andy, a long time to do a lot of that kind of vacuuming. But, but that is the posture of Saturday living. That is the posture of Saturday living. No, the nightmare is not solved. But I'm faced with the choice. Am I going to chase other gods in search of a microwavable solution? Or will I give myself to the investment in God's character that will take the form of helping, serving, preparing, believing in what I believe God is going to do? Chapter three, Habakkuk seems to have gotten the point. He seems to have gotten it. He he seems to now appreciate that his perspective is limited. God has tried to say, in chapter two especially, God has tried to say, look, Habakkuk, I, I, I don't discount your struggles. I don't discount what it is that you've gone through. I don't discount what it is that Israel's going to go through. But you do realize there's more than you. And there's more than your Moment. So Habakkuk says this. Oh Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, o Lord, of your work. In our own time, if you would, though God revive it, God in our own time make it known. In wrath, may you remember mercy. Then Habakkuk goes on to recount these amazing stories of God. But in doing so, he reminds himself, okay, this God has been God for a long time, has done these things in our history that we have learned to rely on, these stories that we have rehearsed, because in rehearsing and remembering those stories, they do help us to live Saturday in hope. And then we get to the end of chapter three and snarky Habakkuk says this, I hear and I tremble within, my lips quiver at the sound, Rottenness enters into my bones and my steps tremble beneath me. I wait quietly. I wait. There it is again. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Now, hear me. He still wants there to be calamity (laughs) as it has to do with the people who will attack. But now, the change in his posture is... While he was waiting with his arms folded before, now I guess if you were to put some sort of form to it, he's waiting now with his arms outstretched. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, verse 17. Though the produce of the olive fails and fields yield no food. Though the flock is cut off from the fold and though there is no herd in the stalls, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. And this is the last verse of the book. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. And then there's this little throwaway line, but it's not, I don't think. To the choir master with stringed instruments. In other words, Kind of like what we have in our hymnals. There are directions here for the worship leaders. In other words, what we have just worked through is a worship liturgy. A liturgy of worship, the work of the people, liturgy of worship. And worship in the book of Habakkuk has included, ready? Complaint, a little bit of cynicism a lot of authenticity, intimacy with God, the capacity to hear when God speaks back, and finally, a recognition that God is big. And it is such an important element. It is such an important dynamic as it has to do with the faith of the people of God, both individually and corporately, that they have canonized it literally as a worship liturgy. It's not disrespectful. It's worship. Let's say it one more time? At the end of the day, it's not disrespectful. It's worship. You've heard that Martin Luther King said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. One of my favorite quotes. Turns out, that it's actually borrowed from a much larger, longer quote, pastor by the name of Theodore Parker, and here is the larger quote. It's almost as if Habakkuk could have written this. He says, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience. And from what I see, I'm sure it bends toward justice. Whoa. For all of us, because I am too, who seem to be stuck in Saturday, I want you to know that we gather around this table each week in the hopes of granting each of us and all of us strength for Saturday. (laughs) Somehow after the tragedy, but a hope that's not yet realized, it's not yet tangible. What does it look like to live faithfulness on Saturday? Well, there are a variety of things that it might look like, but this is one. And an important one. If you were helping us today to prepare the table, go ahead and come on up. And Heavenly Father, as they come, would you help us to re-examine what it is that we are calling respect in our relationship with you? God, as these elements are prepared, Our ask is that you would bless these these elements, this little piece of bread and this sip from a cup. Bless these elements, and, and with them, God, give us strength to live Saturday. Grant us some sort of insight that while we are stuck here on Saturday, that we are stuck with you, that you are here with us on Saturday. With the bread and the cup, God, grant us the strength, the sustenance that we would need to live out our faithfulness, to continue to invest in your character, to recognize that our vision is not the same as your vision. Your perspective is larger than ours. God, help us to take the same journey that Habakkuk does from the beginning to the end of the book and remind us that all of it, the entire, every step of the journey, every step of the journey is worship. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward. I'm going to ask you to come forward with your hands cupped. As you approach a person holding a plate of bread, that person will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is reminiscent of the nightmare of Friday night, right? Take that piece of bread, then dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And as we will say later, that seems to have something to do with hope and future and possibility. So literally what we are eating today, the bread and the cup, it is meant to be sustenance, For all of us who are now living on Saturday. Now, you may not want to participate in these ways. And if you would prefer a prepackaged version of this meal, then the people who are going to dismiss you by rows, they are carrying small plates. And as soon as you get that little prepackaged set of elements, you can go ahead and take and eat and drink. It has been blessed. And we will work through the liturgy shortly. It may be also that as you're moving around, you may want to take a special trip down here and and dip your fingers into this bowl of water meant to help you remember that you are part of the baptized people of God, the people who in so many ways find themselves in Saturdays, (laughs) all kinds of Saturdays. Maybe the jolt of the cool water will remind you that you are not alone here on Saturday. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me, says Jesus. Later on, he would take the cup, the cup of a new covenant, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. Now, if you would, all across the sanctuary, stand to your feet. And if you are so in mind, exit your pews to the left. All are invited, but none are compelled. If you would rather sit this one out, feel free to do so. Come and receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. I'm going to pray a brief prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason. If during this time of prayer, if you would like to have someone pray for you, a prayer for healing, and it can be physical, mental, emotional, if you would like that prayer prayed for you, if you'll come to one of these side padded altars and someone will meet you there and anoint you with oil and pray that prayer for healing. At any time, you're also welcome to come to one of these mourners' benches up front. We won't assume a thing, but we will at some point come nearby so that you know that you do not pray alone. Heavenly Father, hear us as we confess. Hear us as we confess that sometimes we don't know how to live our faithfulness on Saturday. Hear us, God, as we can identify all too well with Habakkuk in his frustration, in his exasperation. Here's God that sometimes we don't take the rest of the journey to finally and fully appreciate that there is something more, something bigger going on than we can appreciate. Now in the silence, if you would, just pray your own prayer of confession. And if you are living on Saturday, welcome. Lots of us are. And pray your Saturday prayer of confession. I hear this as I turn it over to Jason. May the Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life.
0: And as we move towards some moments of prayers of intercession, I just want you to continue to take the posture of prayer that is most comfortable for you. These altars are always open. For those of you who are at home watching online or later, your couch can be your altar if you want to kneel and pray, would you pray along with me this morning? And so, God, we do come to you in openness and in honesty and asking for your help in our lives and the lives of those we love. And so, God, this morning we ask for your continued healing in the life of Mark Riegerd. As he recovers from this open-heart surgery at home, God, we ask that you, heartbeat by heartbeat, would knit him back together in strength and that you would come alongside of him and his loving family day by day. God, we ask as well for you to take care of Drew Middendorf. And God, we ask that you would, through God, your providential means and agencies, by your grace, through your spirit, that you would heal him and heal his heart. And God, I ask that you would encourage his spirit. He would know that you are with him. Be with Drew in his heart. God, we ask that you would continue in the work of Sadie Corder. And God, we ask you would lift up her spirit in disappointment. God, you would lift up her heart and lift up her smile, and that she would know that you are with her. God, we ask that over time, by your spirit and through medicine and doctors, surgeries and the like, that God, you would heal her, her whole life, her whole body, and especially her, her hearing. God, I ask that you would come alongside my friend and yours, Matthew Larson. God, wherever Matthew may be, we ask that your spirit would go with him, and that God, your love and your grace would cover him, and that God, he would know that you love him and are with him. God, this week we pray for those who have experienced loss. Think of Kelly Yates, in the loss of her father, Steve Deal, just last night. God, we thank you for the gift of Steve as a pastor in your great kingdom and all the lives he's touched. We ask you to pray for his widow, now Paula, and all who love Steve Deal, especially surrounding all of the Yates family, children and grandchildren and more. God, and all who've been impacted by the life and ministry, we ask that you'd come alongside of them with your love and the loss of Steve. And God, we ask you to be with the Miller and Doris families and the loss this week of Tiffany and Teresa's biological father. God, would you come around these two special and incredible families this week and in the weeks to come, that they would know your love. And God, we ask that you to be with all who've experienced loss recently and in the whole of their lives, that God, in grief, that you would come alongside in your great presence and love. God, we ask that you to be with all who are disappointed. We pray for those who are without homes, God, we pray for those who are incarcerated. God, we pray for those who have lived in disappointment. And God, we ask that you would come alongside of those who need you the most. God, we think about our congregations and Pastor Daniel Moreda and his family uh, as they worship in this congregation just over here. And God ask that you would bless Pastor Daniel as he preaches in this new congregation in the life of Ocasey First. God, we know that there's so much more, our friends in Zambia, those on mission, like our friend Debbie down at the border, and those who you've come into this place, no doubt with your heart heavy in the life of yours or the life of someone that you love. So even in these moments as Jeffrey plays, I want you to pray for that person in your life who you you know needs a special healing touch from God, who knows you need God right now in their life with what they have faced this week. And even as Jeffrey plays, we want to make space for you to pray for your enemies. I don't like that, but man, that's what Jesus asked us to do. So as Jeffrey plays, would you pray for those who you love, who you know needs God the most, but then also maybe throw a prayer if you're courageous enough to pray for your enemies, and then we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. My prayers now over there were for Laura Hardy and Linda Weaver, but I'm not going to tell you who my enemies are as we go to the Lord's prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.